Welcome to more about officership, an open and honest discussion about officership in Australia. As we move towards one Australia territory, host Captain Matt Reed is joined by officers from across the country to discuss the challenges and rewards of being an officer today. Welcome back to another Candidates podcast. Just a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can go to iTunes and search for more about officership, or you can go to the Salvo Studios webpage uh, and you can find them there each week. We've also got the Facebook page. Go to the Salvation Army Australia Candidates. And if you want to make any questions or any comments or you have any questions about the podcast or about officership in general, please let us know. Now, today we have two guests who have a mountain of experience, uh, two people that have actually been part of my officership journey, and that is Majors Graham and Beth Roberts. They have core experience, social experience, THQ experience, DHQ experience, training college experience, golf course experience, and no doubt much more, which we'll learn about today. So welcome to both of you. Good morning, man. Good, Good morning. morning. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's start by digging into you, Graham. Uh, why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? I am a third generation Salvationist. Mm. And I was reflecting on it last evening, and I think it might even be a fourth generation as I've explored more of another side of my family. Grew up in country South Australia, uh, inspired, encouraged by some officers in my past when I was just a young man. Not that officership was a an intended destination of mine. I had other things in mind, but God... I guess, trump those. Were you a teacher? Teaching is part of my experience, yes. I spent, I began training to be an accountant, spent some time with a firm of chartered accountants and finally began after graduating, pursuing my career and about three months in down the audit trail, it was like I couldn't do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Applied to go teaching and uh, the door opened um, and then... Um, along that journey, God also intervened and said, there's a little bit more that I want. Um, I guess at that stage, my life was split between a couple of different places and God said, this is what I require. You're either all in or mm. you're either all in or you'll be less, th- you'll, you'll be doing less than I require of you. So that was a decision to commit or be obedient and say yes to God for officership. That actually came before committing to uh, my wife of 42 years. Hmm. So uh, the journey then went to um, teaching, training college, officership through the various appointments, that some of which you've outlined. And no doubt there'll be more, which we'll get to. And you, le- you went to college from Adelaide Congress Hall? Went to college from Adelaide Congress Hall, but grew up in country South Australia, Murray Bridge. Um, And it was actually there. You may, you've already mentioned golf, but I think a number of the officers that I encountered did not inspire me. But uh, when I was probably 12, 13, sport was a part of my life. um, And uh, Ron and Ruth Bennett were appointed to our core. Ron had been a I think reserves with Footscray. Sport was a part of his life. He played cricket. He played football. Introduced my father to golf, and that's ignited. A, ended up igniting a, 
a little passion of mine. So A lifelong <laughs> passion. A very expensive passion. Like these, uh, Ron and Ruth were, were people, they're just great people, good officers, mm. um, had kids about my age, uh, but they were engaged in the community and the normal stuff of life, whereas most of the the other people, the other officers I'd seen, they'd been sort of, I guess, holier than there and, and not quite normal in my... Are you suggesting that some core officers are not quite normal? I'm shocked. Now, Graeme, one of the things we when we talk about in this podcast is um, that a lot of officers that people know are their own officers, so the sort of the broader story of other people. You went to college, so you went to college when I was born. I just wanted to, to point that out. Um, and then you've had a whole trail of appointments. Did, did, had you, did you imagine any of those appointments when you started out? Like, you, you have such a vast experience. Did no. you think you were going to go to a core and that would be it? Is that what you wanted? That is what I wanted. There were a couple of interruptions along the way. The uh, youth work, uh, we spent three years as DYs in South Australia, and that, w- that, that came uh, about, I think, because our, of our engagement, not just at core level but in through, through divisional events and mm. sometimes filling in when DYs were having change of appointment and just helping out around yep. things like uh, basketball carnivals, um, music camps, youth camps, Easter camps, that sort of stuff. And then we had a period as DYs. There was one appointment that was not on our radar, even though I had been trained in the finance and I oh, had an accounting degree. I, know, I spent. I know where this is going. Yeah, I was appointed to the finance department. That was uh, that was probably one of the more traumatic periods of my life. How long were you there for? Twelve months in the finance department, three years THQ first time. Okay. Uh, it was one of the more traumatic periods of my life and it also I was a bit slow but it was probably more traumatic for Beth in that change of appointment because in those days um, I That's was appointed. That's my story. <laughs> in those days I was appointed. So I, I, I had to wrestle with what that meant. But looking back, that was actually a, a significant turning point for me. Like we, we wrestled with that. That also gave me the opportunity to begin more formal theological studies, and so that um, mm. ignited yet, or gave an opportunity for me to explore a deeper area, and yeah, ignited a lifelong passion, which ended up tra- with with me teaching at training college. For BM one hundred and one. Thank you very much. And ask to, me anything you like. And to all of the officers who enjoyed BN one hundred and one through the eight years that I was <laughs> uh, part time on staff there. God bless you all. Yeah, well, I'd give you how well I was going. I actually did it twice, so there you go. (laughs) Uh, Beth, let's uh, learn a little bit about you. Okay, so my background is teaching as well. Um, I I was uh, a junior primary school teacher and that was certainly what I planned to do for my working life. As a female, I hadn't really thought about what that meant, but it was what I enjoyed doing, what I think I had good skills in. Um, As I was training, I met Graham and uh, Graham decided 
or whatever, that he was going, that God had called him to officer ship, which wasn't on my radar. Mm. Um, I do have a, a history of Salvation Army officers in my family. So it wasn't that it was a thing that was a negative thing for me because my experience as an officer's kid had been positive and good, but it just wasn't something that I'd ever felt any calling to. So um, as our relationship unfolded, I think I had to wrestle with that and with with God about whether uh, moving forward in that direction was a heart thing for Graham or a response to God. And I, I think it was a package for me. I've never felt that I... Um, it was any different to that. I don't know whether I would have be, I probably wouldn't have become an officer without Graham. I don't know, but that was mm. God's um, direction for my life. And then um, the many roles we've had, I've probably had a lot more in relation, well, core officer, um, a few more than Graham. Um, and in our early years, probably family was a bit more of my focus. Mm. You got four kids. We do have four yes. kids. Four adult children, I believe we say now. They're still kids, <laughs> <laughs> and three grandchildren now oh, too. Oh, grandies! Yep. Um, yeah, so I find myself now in. It, it's interesting after all these years that I'm in a an education role, back where I started mm. as a school teacher except with people at the opposite end of the spectrum of education. Mm. Well, tell us a little bit that because I see you at the college uh, in front of the classroom. What, what, what are you teaching now? I'm facilitating Diploma of Chaplaincy. So I teach some units and I organise for uh, trainers for all the other units. So there's 14 units that we deliver mm. and it's a VET course, a nationally accredited Um yeah, it's good. Mm. It's and it's more than just the, if you like, the academic learning side of it. It's also the coming together as chaplains in an intensive over mm. you know seven intensives we have. So I track their progress, and I guess part of what I uh, feel that I've got the skills for is to get alongside people to encourage them to. Um, to uh, apply what they have to the course so that they can get to the end. Mm. So, yeah, I think my 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 strength is in being an encourager and getting alongside people, and so that works well when you're working with students. Um, from a broad spectrum of backgrounds and capabilities, mm. helping them to reach their potential. That's good. What's your best appointment you've ever had? Obviously, okay. Preston. No, yeah, no. probably for me, <laughs> I would say Geelong was a good appointment from yes. the angle that our children were, this is as a, as a woman who probably got caught up in a lot of the early child rearing, particularly the pr appointment before that we were DYs in South Australia. Yep. 
which was really that Graham was the DY in South Australia. I was Sagala, divisional Sagala person, wore a pretty, a, a really nice mushroom on my head. In oh, those have you days. still got the uniform? No, okay. no, and I certainly don't have the mushroom hat. Um, <laughs> but often Graham would be away on weekends. Um, he was expected to be in the office every day. Uh, so the expectations on him meant the, that what I could do was minimal. In fact, yeah, and and I, I marked core cadet papers and I looked after Sagala. I would simply note that I think some of that expectation was mine, perhaps more than from the divisional leadership at the time, from the DC, that that, that was sort of what I expected and so didn't challenge that and probably was content not to challenge it so, so yeah. that I didn't have to look after. Go to work on your children. own for the day or stay home with four children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Beth did... It was our first, Geelong was our first core appointment after six yes. years off, three years at divisional headquarters and then three yeah. at uh, territorial yes. headquarters. Mm. Okay. So, and, and our children at that stage were all at school. Um, our eldest two were at secondary school. It was a good time to be core officers with a family of four uh, engaging in a corps that had a number of young people too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but were you there for ten years? Nine. Nine years. Yep. Yeah. So our children, our children actually grew. Most of them went through, or at least entered their teenage years, in that in that period of time, and so they they added significantly to our ministry because mm. they were engaged. They were part of the youth group, part of leadership, part of, mm. took on different leadership roles and just to watch them grow and be engaged. And that was uh, encouraging to us and a support in ministry. It, it was a, a great time. Mm. Uh, each appointment has been different and provided learnings along the way. And hopefully we've been able to make some contribution to the lives of others in that. Preston was our most recent core appointment. Well, excuse me, can no. you rephrase that? I'm sorry, yes. Well, I, even I knew that that wasn't right, Graham. <laughs> I was, was going to say anything because, you know what, you say your own stuff. But It was like... our most recent. <laughs> Beth has had other core appointments yes. after that. But the multicultural nature mm. of, of that environment was uh, just wonderful. Yeah. Actually, A huge learning for yeah. us. Uh, Preston, because we had not had anything multicultural prior to that. And even the community itself, but then the Sudanese families that came into the core and what we mm. learnt about respecting and valuing people Our of other cultures. cultures. Yeah. Okay. Because I actually have this this memory, I'll share this with you, of us all sitting in Belinda Davis's lounge room. Do you remember this? You turn up in a Tarago van. <laughs> I remember this. Wow. You were on holidays. I, I remember you were on holidays. So you, it was after Geelong when mm. you came to Preston and you, you'd taken leave. And But there was this one day you came and we had lunch together and, and we all, it was a, sort of the first time that we'd all, all kind of met. Uh, and I actually remember thinking then that, and we talked about this uh, just previously, but that you guys thought differently about core ministry. I actually remember that. Mm. I remember thinking, 
this is going to be interesting. Like, this is going to be good, but this is a, a whole different approach to to how we're going to do ministry together. So, Matt, was it different? Yes. Yeah, in, it was. In what ways? I know you're the interviewer, <laughs> but I need to ask no, no. you the questions because well, I want to learn out of this. Well, I think it was that um, – so, for, for me personally, like we – I'd grown up at the core. You see the core operate in a certain way. That's how the core operates. And the whole sort of theory that every core kind of operates the same way, they're just different sizes, you know, some bigger, some are smaller, obviously. But I remember <coughs> um, thinking, no, we, we're going to do this differently. We talked about youth ministry. We talked about, um, you know, the community support stuff. We talked about how all these things would work together. And this was kind of new language for the core. And then we had the building works that we... So lovingly were partakers of um, all that sort of stuff, but it was I just that was what it was different. That it was it, we were kind of redefining what the the core would look like, not because of what we would do, but because of what was happening around us. And I think you guys led that. You you're responsible for that. And I think that what what happened way back then is still is what's happening now. But someone had to go first, and I think it took people, and I mean this respectfully, from the outside to come in make observations and point the ship in a, in a new direction. We were blessed to have a team of good people, of good people who were committed to the ministry, to, to the community of faith, mm. but also to the broader community mm. and recognising um, the vast, um, I say array, the diversity of people that, mm. that we as the Salvation Army in Preston engage with and we as the Salvation Army anywhere engage with, that there there were, there are people in that core who are well-established, long-time Salvationists, mm. um, you know, good supportive families and family networks, but then the core also engaged with numbers of people on the, on the margins who, mm. who were embraced. At times it was a struggle mm-hmm. because none of us like our old patterns and sort of familiar relationships being... Um, I was going to say disturbed, but, mm. you know, the, the, some of the changes that took place were quite significant. But I think there were probably three things that came together at that point of time. One is that there was a team of people working together in that space, uh, in, in the officer leadership team. There were the physical changes that took place with the building that that broke a pattern, if you like, that was a, a new ministry environment. And then there were um, community members like, I don't know how it was that a leader of a Sudanese, uh, a group of Sudanese people came and made connection with the Salvation Army. I think it was because there was some support offered. Mm. And then to have 20 or 30, you know, sort of a few families that engaged with their kids, it has to change. You you and I can remember the the family that had 10 kids. Yes. You know, and that that's a game changer. You there know? were two families that had... Actually, there was. Yeah, but that's a that's a game changer mm. and that changes the core and that changes how we yeah. kind of open to, to new people and so... Mm. Can I say that before we came to Preston, we ha- at Geelong, we'd, we'd actually learnt to value, um, I'd say, team. There were a couple of... There were a number of people who came on board to add value to our ministry. Mm. Um, and I think that we understood that 
a core isn't about the officers, but it's about the team working together and having people follow their passion and make for that passion to be part of what we we did. So we had a few, a couple of employees who were, well, there was Wendy. Um, There was also some who worked on behalf of the core at the one-stop emergency services, emergency relief Relief. centre. Okay. Um, We also had one or two people within the core who... Yeah, who, yes. So, mm. so this idea that we are bigger than just the traditional Salvation Army Corps that mm. perhaps we'd, we'd been more familiar with. Would you agree with that, Graeme? Yes, I would. You wouldn't dare not. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's not, as I reflect on both of those occasions, there may like we we were the core officers, mm. but there were other people who who brought their own gifts and skills as part of the team, and being released because you can't do it all. You can't, no. None of us can do it all. We we have our contribution to make, and God in His wisdom, and I think the cost the word the. the the New Testament tells something about different gifts, you know, that, that God's... Well, you teach it, you should know. God, God's, <laughs> God's provided what we yeah. need. It's actually about us to um, allow people to use the gifts that God's given them and to, to operate in, in areas of their ministry passion. Yeah. It's not the time for pearls of wisdom, but... Um, I reflect on the change that's taken place over the the decades of our ministry and the, yes, the, the ministry environment has changed and compliance and is mm. really important, but it's relationships. Ministry is about relationships and uh, there is so much happening today that pushes us into... Uh, having to focus on administration, having to deal with these compliance things. The challenge, I think, for us all is to recognise that these are necessary, but if we can release them into the hands of others and work with others so that we focus on the relationship Mm. rather than on the the mechanics. Uh, And that's a challenge because of time pressures, because of external demands and external distractions. Mm. So... Relationships. So you're both encouragers. I know that from experience, so I'm not making that up. And you both sort of have a like a coaching role now, I suppose, in the army. If it, maybe like I know you, you, Graham, you're involved with Growing Healthy Corps and and overseeing that at this stage. At this stage, yes, and that's part the, of my role. Uh, the chaplaincy role. What what do you think people can learn from one encouragers, but also people who get alongside people and encourage others? Because not, not everyone does it. It's not, not a natural thing for a lot of people to do. I think it is born out of relationship though. But how do people continue? Um, what, what, where's your pearls of wisdom on encouraging people and what does it look like on an ordinary day? To be an encourager, you've got to be a listener. So you've got to hear where the person is. So that's about relationship actually. Uh, and drawing out of that the positives. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's it's some of it's part of who you are. Graham talked about 
learning and um, the, the worst year of his officership still had some positives and I think that that whole idea of whatever appointment you're in, whatever you are doing, there is there is something good to be found and I think that's part of the mindset of an encourager is that you're looking for those things. You look for them in your own life, but you also look for them in the lives of others mm. and recognise that I don't change anyone. A person changes themselves, but I can come alongside yeah. and help them see or, or encourage them to to find those those things that they that are good and mm. that are positive. Mm. I don't know whether that's what you were asking. No, it's good. I, I make an observation about you, Beth, that you always tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> truth serum. <laughs> but which is important. If people are going to grow, mm. people are going to learn. I, I can recall a couple of conversations we had back in the day, you know, and they were, it was grace and truth, but there was a fair bit of truth in it, which, which was good. Mm. Beth mentioned listening as a critical piece in mm. terms of relationships. And it's not always easy for us to listen to others because, quite frankly, I've got the answers. Mm. I, I know the solution to your problem. <laughs> Jesus is the answer. And by the way, here's some other things yeah. that you can do or that you need to do or that you need to change. But that really doesn't work. Some of us are pretty slow mm. at learning that um, or have been slow at learning that and still need reminders that we don't always have the answers. And we might have the answer, but it not might not be to the question that's really mm. uh, you're really asking or it might not be the answer to the problem you've really got because we don't know about it, we don't know it fully. So still in that process of, of learning and listening and even, even, and I think particularly in the evangelical space, if we're going to transform people with the love of Jesus, we actually need to understand what... Um, what's happening in Excuse their lives. Me, we are not going to transform. No, we are not going to transform. If this is the mission, yeah. you know, it's to transform Australia one life at a time with the love of Jesus, then it actually needs to be in us. And I look at Jesus' engagement with people and there are a number of quest number of times when it was, you know, what do you want from me? You know, what are you seeking? So the uh, Jesus responded I've got no doubt about the divinity of Jesus and so he knew what was in their heart. Mm. He knew what was in their head. He knew what their situation was. But still mm. it's the question is, you know, what is it that you want? Mm. And so just to sit and listen to people um, because if God's at work in you and in me, then God will work through us. And, and I firmly believe that God continues to prompt and guide um, if we have the patience and the time to listen to others and to listen to him rather than just have the answers emerge from within. And I can tell you, I've got all the answers. Yeah. Um, among my recent sharing and learning, um, I would encourage anyone to read Surprise the World by Michael Frost, but one of the, one of the challenges is to listen to the Spirit and sometimes the Spirit says, shut up. <laughs> 
Say nothing. Cease operation. Cease. <laughs> Sit and listen. Don't say anything. Whereas the, the, the desire of us to help people yeah. and, and move them forward is here's I can see what you need. Just do this. And so, whoa. Yeah. So resources then, you're talking about Michael Frost's book and well, what do you do to keep yourself spiritually nourished? Like, you know, if you work here every day and I'm not saying that that's not life-giving and all those other bits mm. and pieces, but what what are you, for, I guess, for people who who are tuning in, what, what are some of the things that people can do just to to nourish their spiritual life as much oh, as... I play golf. Are you the best golfer in the army? Tell the truth. I don't know. Well, you'd be in the top five, wouldn't you? Ben's nodding out there. <laughs> um, I reckon... What about Winton? He's all right, isn't he? He's all right, but he's... Sorry, Winton is not as good as I am. Okay. No, the, the, the numbers show it. I'm probably the best, uh, the best Salvation Army officer golfer All right. at this stage. Yep. Um, <laughs> golf actually for me, it, it's, it's not about golf, um, although it, there is a passion around that. But when I play golf, that's what I do. I don't think about anything else. Work doesn't intrude. Mm. Family doesn't intrude. I could count probably on um, in 40 years of golf and officership, you know, there wouldn't be 10 times where my golf has been disturbed by outside, mm. by work or, or other demands. I'm not saying that it hasn't stopped me playing golf, but if I'm playing golf, that's just, mm. that's detachment. But there are other things for me, like the reading, um, reading the scriptures, reading um, stuff like Michael Frost's book, mm. and, and I've been blessed in this role because I've been forced into reading in areas that perhaps I wouldn't have otherwise and that's been good. And the latest stuff. And the latest Doesn't stuff. Doesn't mean it's the greatest, no. but it, it says a lot about you, that mm. you, you're reading that stuff. Well, you've got to, you, yeah, if we keep, the world keeps changing mm -hmm. and while God doesn't change and our relationship with Jesus doesn't change, that relationship doesn't change, but it should change us mm. and how we respond in the world. So... You know, I do things like I, I walk, I You're jog. a park runner too, aren't you? Yeah, now I'm a park runner. I was going to say oh. um, to sum up, self-care is a good place to start. Mm. If, if we're not doing that well, then it's much more difficult to hear what God's saying. Um, so if, if I'm really busy, I can be reading the Bible, I can be doing devotions, but actually it may not be going anywhere. So self-care is about space for me that allows the, uh, allows me to think through that sort of Have thing. you ever, ever thought about taking up golf? It nearly destroyed our marriage at one <laughs> stage when he tried to teach me. So now I play perhaps once a year and he never tells me anything about what I'm doing right or wrong. He just lets me try and hit the ball. So, that is the truth. <laughs> um, and the other thing is just over a long period of time, being part of a faith community that uh, feeds my spirit is important too. So there's a personal stuff around self-care and around feeding my spirit in whatever way that might be yeah. from God's word. But there's also the need to be part of that relational space, um, whatever that 
for me at the moment it's a couple of different spots, so part of the Mitcham Core, part of Recovery Church, those things. Oh, it's yeah. just a, with Erin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Been there for three years. Okay. It's good. Oh, great. But I do think I, I would add to Beth that engagement in, in the community. It, it's It's not just looking after yourself, but it's also engaging in life. Mm. with other people who are different from you um, so that you... God challenges me in different ways um, and sometimes, often it is in that self-care space when you're just mulling over things as you're walking along or listening to something or, or been reading something and the circumstances of life and God gives ideas, thoughts... Mm. Um, and when you're actually engaged with others and you listen with others, yeah, great opportunities just to learn and to recognise that God's at work, mm. maybe not in ways that we might expect, but God is at work and we need to try and work with God rather than according to our own agendas. Mm. So, Graham, you just had a significant birthday. Um, well, not just had a... But you have a significant age in our... Uh, <laughs> Birthdays are Organization. great. Birthdays are great because the more you have, the longer you live. <laughs> that is true. And um, I guess my question would be then, just as we close, what when you look back on forty years, what's the? I mean, it's a bit cliche, but what what's something that no one ever told you that you'd pass on to those coming behind you? You know this. You know you, you learn stuff. You know whether it's through training experiences or personal development, but there's just stuff you pick up along the way that you think, when, when uh, how others may come in contact with that. What, what would, for you and for Graham and Beth, what would you pass on to those people that maybe at the start of their officership journey um, that you've learned over the years? There's a lot that I've learned. What's the one, what is it that no one told me? I've got a funny feeling that some people might have told me, but I was just slow to learn and slow... Well, just claim it as your own. Um, <laughs> you can't credit anybody with it, just... I think the, the thing that um, I continually... Yeah, I, I would try to encourage people, particularly Salvation Army officers, is that you need to take responsibility for yourself. Don't expect the organisation or other people, you know. The, the, the Salvation Army is a, is a means, you know, it was brought into being by God for a purpose and it will continue to do that. But don't expect the Salvation Army or anyone else to, to be the answer to your problems or provide everything for you. Um, take responsibility for your own walk with God and think about what it is that God requires of you. Uh, take responsibility for your own family. And yes, we can... Uh, probably in the Salvation Army, we talk about the Salvation Army, but the Salvation Army is us mm. um, and we need to take responsibility for ourselves and do that which God requires of us. We, mm. al we always have choices. We always have choices. And I know that in one of our more difficult times, um, it was in the process. We were actually asked um, 
probably need to fill the gaps here. The appointment we didn't want, after 12 months, we were offered a change. And it was like, we've just moved our family halfway, you know, sort of across half of Australia. Mm. They're now connecting with, with family. Do we want to move yet again? It was like, but it was our choice. And that was actually pretty scary. And it was like, so we didn't physically move. I did get a move out of the finance department, but we didn't physically move, whereas we could have. But the, it was actually scary to have that choice and to say, mm. we need to make it and we need to own it. And I'm glad we did. Um, but yeah, the choice is still ours. We need to, we need to take responsibility. It's good. What about you, Beth? I want to say that taking responsibility whole thing I think is something that we share. Mm. We always have a choice. You would know we chose to have a year sabbatical leave. That was... Yes, that was in my notes. We are, we are going to finish, but you went to Africa or something, didn't you? We... Oh, no. Yes, we did three months volunteer India? work in Shukrani College in Africa and a month's holiday and then we had seven months travelling around Australia. Mm. That was a self-care thing mm. that we planned. Yes, I remember. We planned maybe... Um, 20 years earlier we started that process of planning. <laughs> but let me answer your question about a pearl, uh, you know, yeah. something other than take responsibility and make your choices. And They don't always work out your choices and plans. Mm. But, yeah, own as much as you can what you can. But for me, I guess, as a woman in the Salvation Army, mm. learning what that meant I needed to do in terms of taking responsibility. So I grew up as a officer's kid, happily moved into core officership and worked with Graham as a team. Um, and then at one point when we got a change of appointment to THQ and I was offered almost nothing, I realised that I actually wasn't valuable to the Salvation Army. Well, that's how I felt. Mm. Um, and I guess it wasn't blaming the Salvation Army. It was saying, okay, so that changed my whole thinking about how I needed to operate as an equal officer mm. and step up to the mark and be prepared to take on some things that were uncomfortable. I'm not naturally a public speaker, I can do it. But, mm. you know, um, stepping up to preaching regularly and improving it and doing well um, in our next appointment, stepping up in in further down the track, Graham took on, on college studies and I took on more of the core responsibility. So actually not hiding behind the fact that I'm a wife and a mother also, mm. but I'm an officer and what does that mean? mean? And uh, being prepared to speak into that. And I know it's not, a, we, I know as women, we don't always feel that's respected and understood. Mm. But if you come into officership it's, or into ministry within the Salvation Army, it's something that will come, will be something you'll have to look at and how you, you work with that and... Um, yeah, so mm. stepping up. I think if more women, if if all women, no. My mother once, <laughs> who was an officer, 
challenged me, didn't challenge me in this. I asked her what she put on her form about what her role was and she said, I put a housewife. She was a Salvation Army officer. And I thought, that's not me. No. So. No. Very good. Well, thank you. Any other closing comments, Graham? You always... Sometimes you have a word at the end. You've got to... Amen. He often has a word at the end. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, well, thanks very much for um, taking the time to have a chat. I expect, respect and admire you both greatly. So um, for those that are listening, if you want to, if you've got any questions or comments, uh, leave them on the Facebook page or you can send me an email. If you've got any direct questions for Graham or Beth, send them to me and I can forward them on. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us for more about Officership. You can join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash SA Candidates Australia. If you want to explore Officership further, please speak to your local core officer or candidate secretary. The Salvation Army needs more leaders. Is God asking for more of you?